welcome to Value Matters, your one-stop destination for everything about driving maximum value in supply chain. My name is Johan, I'm your host, and I'm here to bring you the, the success stories, the insights, the strategies from experts from all around the world. Today, we'll be discussing predictive analytics. More precisely, we'll be discussing its role, the realistic expectations, the specific challenges, as well as, of course, I would say, the return on investment of such projects. So welcome on board, fasten your seatbelt, and get ready for a deep dive into the world of value creation in supply chain. It's really time to make value matters. So welcome to Value Matters, a proud, a non-sponsored podcast whose only aim is to help you ensure your supply chain is effectively profitable. This is already episode four, and I'd like first to thank all our listeners for their raising interest in the topics we discuss here, so namely supply chain, decision making, and return on investment. Those are the very heart of our company's success. Those are the very heart of this podcast as well. I'm receiving already, I won't say tons yet, but already quite a few feedbacks and, and for sure way more than I expected, uh, mostly positive ones. So thank you very much. This means that you find value in this podcast and this means Value Matters delivers on its promises as well. So it's really great to hear. Today, I'm 100% excited and totally thrilled to introduce a, a great expert in, in demand planning and sales and operation planning, but also a recognized thought leader, but also an author, but also a trainer. He is director at the IBF, the Institute of Business Forecasting and Planning. And let's add to this, this, quite, this already quite impressive list, but from a personal perspective, he's been quite influential in, in, in launching this podcast as well, as he himself is the but also the very successful one, the IBF On Demand podcast that you could find on, on YouTube and on any podcast platform, including your, favorite, including your favorite ones for sure. I'd like to start this episode by introducing him with a note to his podcast, and he's now famous. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> this is another episode of Value Matters. I'm Johan, your ROI Obsessed host, and today I'm totally thrilled to welcome Eric Wilson. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm excited about being on this podcast. I'm glad there's other value that's being put out there uh, in the supply chain and business forecasting in podcasts that other people can you know consume as well. This is a, I've I've checked out the three episodes you have so far. I mean, it's exciting to you know, have this available for people. And I encourage people to continue to support this and every, you know, people that are are, are growing our field. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's really great to have you on the guest seat for this time. So might change a little bit from you, usually. <laughs> um, <laughs> to start, I'd like to um, maybe to let you introduce yourself. So who you are and more precisely, what's your professional journey so far, how you 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 became the Eric Wilson we, we all know now. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much. I mean, I said I came to this role after 
decades, a few decades of practitioner experience. Uh, I worked, I have the scars to prove it. Uh, I worked as demand planner, you know, transformation, you know, uh, leads and building, you know, planning and SNO, uh, SNOP and supply chain uh, processes inside the organization, multiple companies, different sizes, different industries as well. About three or four years ago, I came on full time with the Institute of Business Forecasting. And now I'm relegated to a podcast host and trainer. Uh, but really what I do is I'm that liaison between what's best or next practices in the industry and help share them with other companies. I love what I'm doing now because being able to really help organizations grow and, and connect the dots with other organizations, I love doing that. Sure, it must be so, so interesting and so rewarding from, from an intellectual perspective. And it's great that you you came from the field, from the battlefield, I would say. <laughs> from I, the I, got the, I, I have the scars, <laughs> I can prove it, you know. <laughs> and you mentioned the IBF, so maybe for some people in the audience that might be an unknown organization, can you tell us more about the IBF, its role, the kind of initiatives you're you're having there? Up to it. it. It's actually the largest organization, membership organization for people in our fields. It's about fostering the growth of business forecasting, demand planning, predictive analytics, SNOP, and related fields. So it's really what makes it unique is it's built by practitioners for practitioners. So it's not this consulting level, theoretical mm -hmm. level. It's really built by people who are doing this and sharing their experience. And that's what IBF is about. It's about sharing experiences. Uh, it have a vast body of knowledge. I, I have my podcast, IBF On Demand, but we also have a lot of content that people have contributed through articles. We do conferences. We do free town halls. So you can check it out at IBF.org. I said there's a vast body of knowledge. A lot of it's free, but there is actually membership as well. If you want to become a member, highly recommend it. You do get, yes, you get this, you get that, you get discounts, you get things before other people don't get. Uh, but the main thing you get is you're supporting an industry that you're most likely probably involved in already. So you're helping support that field is what you're doing. Okay, great. And you mentioned that this is the, the largest organization uh on, on the field how, how many members it's fifty thousand members worldwide it's a global organization 50, i was actually 000. wow i was That's... actually in amsterdam and paris last week so i mean it's yeah. a global organization uh, that we have so it's 55 50, worldwide wow impressive impressive so all of the ibf members please listen to the <laughs> ibf on demand podcast for sure but let's give a test for for, for value matters as well <laughs> please i i encourage it so in this episode today, we will be discussing um, predictive analytics. We'll be discussing its role, um, maybe what 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 are the realistic expectations regarding this this technology? Uh, what are the specific challenges one one might be facing when trying to implement this? And of course, given we are value matters, we'll be discussing the ROI of such initiatives. Right? Does it make sense from an economic point of view, or is it just boiling waters for the Pleasure of boiling waters. Uh, for sure, it's not. <laughs> uh, in 2021, you published a, a comprehensive book titled Predictive Analytics for Business Forecasting and Planning. And this is a, a great book, but I would say this is what, why did you decide? That, I'm really curious about that. Why did you decide to write your own book on that? But I would say already quite a lot of books discussing this topic. But what makes yours unique? 
uh, among those? Yeah, well, I think what makes my book, you have a couple questions in there. Why did I write it and what makes it unique? Mm. Uh, and first of all, the what makes it unique? You said there's a lot of books out there, and I would actually disagree when it comes to books for demand planners, for people who are in business forecasting. Mm. There wasn't as many books out there. There's a lot of books on, you know, machine learning and AI uh, right. and, right. you know, things. And, and there's books. There was books out there as far as, you know, Lori, from the theoretical oh, and the, you know, consulting. What didn't exist was a book for practitioners, people who are doing demand planning day to day type of operation. I said I came from that field. The reason I wrote the book is because for years, Everyone lived inside their own four walls, time series world. Hey, what happened last week, last month? Okay, let's extrapolate that pattern going forward. And we used our internal sales order type of data inside our own four walls to extrapolate patterns. There's a whole other world out there of external variables, of predictive analytics that I wanted to introduce people to, kind of encourage, excite people about what else is you know possible and kind of lead them in a journey to demand planning 2.0 per se. Okay, so that's the main difference is it's for practitioners is really dedicated to the demand planning field forecasting yeah. and that's yeah. why it's so so helpful for practitioners. So if you are a practitioner who's willing to learn more about how predictive analytics could help in your specific domain, this is Definitely one of the books you, you have to read. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, full disclosure, I, I don't have, you know, code in there. You know, you're not mm -hmm. going to come out of this coding uh, yeah. in, in Python. But what you're going to get is if if you knew exponential smoothing, now you're going to know a little bit more about multiple regression and decision trees and, 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 and how those work. Uh, not that you have to recreate a neural network, but you understand what an input layer is and those aspects. So it introduces them into the concept of low code type of uh, options that maybe out when there's when there's technology providers offering services, they understand what they're offering now. Okay, okay, Make, makes it a great, great read for sure. Highly recommended. So now let's deep dive into the topic of predictive analytics themselves. So apply to demand planning and forecasting. Um, I definitely definitely wanted to have you on the show to discuss this specific topic. And in fact, you've been on the list, I would say, for since the beginning of the, of the podcast, <laughs> when I first thought of what, what would be the, the different themes uh, I'd like to discuss. Uh, let me tell you why. You're, um, you're at no four on this specific topic. You're a speaker, you're a trainer, you're a podcast host. So you're a well-recognized thought leader in this area. Um, this means you're in live daily contact with tens of companies, hundreds of practitioners, maybe even more than that. So you're definitely in the base place to see how this worldwide community is really um, embracing change, embracing predictive analytics in, in real life um, and the kind of issues or challenges they might be facing, right? Um, and so far, when 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 you may, maybe people do some some research on the, on the web or go to conference and so on, you might be facing with two opposite opinions. Um, on one side, you have consulting firms, software vendors uh, that are widely sharing case studies 
of companies that have embraced predictive analytics to really revolutionize their practice. They've got some fantastic performance out of it, and that's awesome. And on the other side, um, when discussing with companies, uh, sometimes with the very same companies as well, uh, we still see that their their daily business business is heavily supported by Excel spreadsheets, and they are very far from those shiny predictive analytics topics that were discussed first. So it seems that there's uh, there, there's a difference, that there's initiatives that are maybe not failed, but not yet landed to the to the, the to each people in the company, and it's not yet effectively rolled out. Do, do you agree with that, or maybe you have a different point of view given your the, the reach you have in the community? No, I I. I agree exactly what you're saying. And you, I, I chuckle because you mentioned even inside the same company where you have these, you know, individual proof of concept case studies that are done, generally, you know, a consultant that's promoting, hey, look what we did. Then you talk to other people on the side of the same company and it's like they, they're they miles away from what was going on. They're still operating in, in Excel, as you said. So you do see that in, inside the same companies and you do see a a broad spectrum right now as far as individual use cases, case studies that are being highly promoted. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing a lot of the people working in it and saying, hey, I haven't really changed a lot of what I've done. So you do see both sides then. And I, I think because it, it, there's the, the, as far as adoption of it, it, it's not across the board inside organizations. Mm -hmm. They haven't really focused on you know, really making it part of a daily process across the entire organization. There's pockets inside of organizations that are really driven a lot by consultants, that are driven a lot by the, the new technology they you know may have purchased. But it really isn't processed across the entire organization. That's really what we're seeing that adoption with yet. And, and it's proven out over time. Uh, if you look at from a predictive analytics standpoint, mm -hmm. external data, in two, IBF does a lot of research. We have 50,000 members. Let's talk, ask them questions. So we do a lot of research. In 2003, 2008, around that time frame, there was about 3% of companies out there using external data. In 2018, so this is 10 years later, it's up to 28%. So by the time when I wrote my book, less than a third of the companies out there were doing anything with external data. Everything was time series. Everything was internal data. Now that number, we're over the you know, a third percent, so we're up to close to 40%. That's still not half. Mm -hmm. So half the companies out there are still not using any type of even external data point to try to figure out what's happening inside their own four walls. And, and with this uh, ex experience and understanding, do you think that it's um, it depends on the size of the company, uh, maybe with big companies having more budgets to invest in that and therefore being the first to grab the low-hanging fruit of this technology or or is it the opposite that the big companies are at the same time so big that changing anything in the process is a nightmare and, and it takes way longer than its smaller ones who are more agile? It, yes, the size does matter in this case. Uh, we generally see the larger companies where you have those pockets of analytics, you know, being explored, being, uh, you know, different things being done uh, because they have the capability, not as an entire company, but in the small area, try to do that, which kind of leads to that last discussion we just had. You have pockets 
of mm -hmm. excellence and yeah. pockets of analytics, but you don't see it across their whole company. With larger companies, they have some, you know, uh, capital they can employ. They have the people, resources, so they do these these use case scenarios. And, and small companies, the problem is some of these companies, the demand planner also has a purchasing hat on or the demand planner and has to do this as well. Uh, so a lot of people, resource-wise, they don't have the resources to, they're just putting out fires a lot of time. They're not really looking to, hey, how can we plan? How can we utilize predictive analytics? Let's do this project over here. They don't have the resource and time really to do the, do the product. That said, I've seen small companies have some great use cases, mm -hmm. but they're, they're, they're the anomalies sometimes. Okay, so, so from your understanding, it's mostly having time to conduct such initiatives that's lacking. That's the, the reason why it doesn't roll out or it doesn't just happens really as it's supposed to be because the capability is there. Uh, exactly. it's, 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 it's not, I mean, it's advanced technologies, but it's not rocket science. We're not going to land on Mars with, 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 it's not that complicated to use such technology. And, and, and there's high promises. It's really something that could be strategical to the performance of the company. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at any kind of uh, analytics, it's still people. You got to have a person that has the skill set, has the time, has the resources. You're going to need process. And if you don't have a really cross-functional or process that's going to, you know, really advocate for the analytics used, then it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have data. And unless you can get the right data, someone can help you get that data, it's not going to work. Then the analytics and technology is going to do something. Uh, but you worry, the smaller the company, you're going to have strained resources on people. You're not going to have good processes in place sometimes. The data is sparse, or you don't have the right people to get the data you need. So that hinders your capabilities. Okay, so usually this kind of, from, from our perspective, each time, um... A, an AI based power project uh, happened to be uh, to be triggered and to be a success as well. Uh, there was a strong vision directly from the CEO, from the C-levels who really just show the, the right direction and, and, and really push toward that direction because there are so many reasons for the project to, to just get stuck at some stage. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you have this strong support from the C-levels, it really helps. Uh, it usually comes with some resources as well. And and you are more, you could, yeah, put aside maybe some more easy, easily some firefighting activities to, to, to focus on, on this strategic project from the company as well. So mm -hmm. th this is definitely something that's mandatory is having this, um, I don't know how to say it in English, but uh, this, the, the, the silver is pushing towards that direction or, or, or pulling the whole company towards this, this specific direction. You got to have the advocate on board. You got to have the person yeah. that really is Being a champion. real sponsor. Yeah, the yeah you have to have it. a little sponsor that's an advocate mm -hmm. and cheerleader uh, that really sees the value, as, as you mentioned, creates that vision and keeps everyone, it really breaks down the barriers and keeps everyone moving towards the goal. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's critical. And 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 sometimes OC uh, OC OC is French. <laughs> sometimes also, <laughs> we see uh, we we see companies um, struggling a little bit when the project is triggered uh, because they don't have the right um, understanding, the right culture 
the right expectations um, of what they're going to get from this technology and how to implement such a technology. For, for many companies, it's, it's, a it's a technology and that's all. And, and they um, implement that in a standard IT project way. Uh, but implementing predictive analytics, uh, implementing machine learning algorithms is not implementing an, an ERP system. It's both are complex. It's not a question of complexity, but it it doesn't go the same way. And there's more um, test and, and failures, uh, train test and learn uh, process with the, with predictive analytics that you don't expect with a usual IT project. Correct. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, please. No, I was, I was going to say, from the, the biggest problem I'm seeing as far as getting adoption, uh, success of implementations, uh, small or really large, either one. You mentioned the vision part. The biggest problem I'm seeing across the board, biggest problem I'm seeing, mm -hmm. is people are trying to implement a software, and their goal is implementation of a software. If that's your goal, that's not a vision because, yeah, I can I can implement anything. But why? What's it going to yeah. do? What's the what's the purpose of that? People don't define that up front or even, you know, measure that as they go so that everyone's focused on. Pushing a button and starting a software, if that's your goal, you can achieve that. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be success. And that's the biggest problem I'm seeing is they're not defining success. Yeah, and, and when they think of predictive analytics as a software, they mostly think about data, algorithms, flows of data, uh, maybe some interfaces, gestures, but not, not that much. And in fact, an, an AI project is mostly about change management. It's not about replicating the good old ways we, do, we we did things. It's really changing, totally changing the ways. There's new capabilities out there. Let's embrace them. Let's use them to redefine roles, redefine processes. And and there's definitely a, a strong need for change management, really supporting people in this transformation journey because their role is going to evolve. And they, they might be sometimes uh, expecting too much for uh, and, and seeing it as a sci-fi uh, movie and, 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 and having fear to lose part of their job usually it's not the case i mean most ai projects so far um requires some ex human expertise to really it's really combining those that delivers the, the most value you can get oh, for sure you can put ai and just leave it autonomous and and just fire everyone but you're not going to get as much value and you're going to stay for long for sure as a company uh, if you do that. But if you bring the, the knowledge, the expertise the, from, from humans and, and bring that with the insights that both technologies could get from the data, you really have the, the winning combination for, for the project. Absolutely, absolutely. You're going to have to have the people part of it. You, you can't, a lot of it's change management. People still the still the first you know, piece in the, in the puzzle, so you got to go from there. Yeah, and and from your understand, your understanding, so far, is it something that's truly understood by companies, or are there many companies that still see this kind of 
initiatives as a software implementation project? The vast majority see it as a software implementation. I said that's the biggest mm. obstacle I see, the biggest hurdle, uh, the biggest reason why a lot of them fail is because they see it as a yeah. software implementation. They don't see it as the change management. They don't see it as the process. They don't see it as the people. They don't They don't see the value that they're trying to truly create. They, they're not seeing, they're connecting the, those dots. They see it as a software implementation. That's how their project's set up. That's how they go into it. That's how they, you know, okay, success. We have a new project. We have a new mm. a software. Check the box, we're done. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, you mentioned value. Uh, they, they don't know, they don't even define the value they expect. Yeah. But let, 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 let's dive into this second part, which is definitely the, the core of this of this podcast, which is discussing value of, of such initiative. Um, I've I've done my homework before this pro, this recording this podcast, so I, I've come across a, a recent study that claimed that right now global predictive analytics market is something like fifteen billion dollars. Which is already pretty massive, and it's expected to raise to almost uh, 70 billion dollars by 2030, which means um, five times bigger in 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 the coming six years, let's say, mm -hmm. to, almost in 2024. Yeah. Uh, so this means companies literally spend billions in 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 this, those technologies, um, and at the same time. We, we mentioned some the, some issues, the, the, the lack of understanding of the technology of what it could really bring to the to, to the table. Why such massive investments then? Why, uh, why is there such massive investment? Uh, because the everyone's chasing a shiny penny is what we call it. Or they're, they're, they're chasing the you know the the, the fancy car they think is going to get them someplace quicker without understanding, you know, exactly what it is. So, I mean, majority of people are chasing what they don't understand and don't know. That's a majority out there, and be, be honest. Uh, outside of that, there's a lot of people that are going after it because they're chasing either precision or they're chasing, you know, as far as some uh, efficiency. So they're changing, chasing one of those things, thinking it's going to give a result if they get there. So it's you know, if I can get a better forecast, obviously I can make better decisions. If I can create more efficiency, I'm obviously going to save money. So they're going after an anticipated result without actually looking to see what those results may be. And, and when we think about we we talk more precisely about forecasting, demand planning. Um, definitely, definitely, we know that forecasts play a central role in our companies. Uh, not everybody know, not everybody, know, not enough people know and notice that, but it's it's so critical to the company. Almost each and every decision is backed by a kind of a type of another forecast. Might it be a, some 10 years ahead strategical forecast or decisions or, or the daily tiny decisions of moving this specific item from this store to this to another one or or to send it to a specific location. All of this is supported by forecast. So, yeah, I'll go one step further. Every business decision is based on the lag of what you know now and what you think is going to happen in the future. Think about it. Every yeah. business decision is based on that lag because mm -hmm. this is what I know now and I'm making a decision not for now, but for the future, what I think is going to happen, i.e. a forecast. It could be a structured forecast, could be the CEO's gut feel, but mm -hmm. everything's based on a forward-looking projection. 
So yeah. yes. Yeah, it, it it doesn't it doesn't have to be formalized to be a, for yeah. a forecast. It's yeah. it's it's sometimes we just call it a bet, but it's yeah. it's it's some exactly. intuition about what what's going to happen, what are the, uh -huh. the pros and cons, and and yeah. whether it's it could be profitable or not. So it, given this the forecasts have this central role, it's, it's I think it's easy to understand why companies are um, really investing on this specific technology because they understand that improving that could be a strategical asset for, for their companies to, they, they could make a real change compared in their performance, compared to the competition and so on. Yet, I, I'm always so surprised um, that the effective measure of the added value of a forecast is, I would say almost because I don't want to, I, I want to, to stay open-minded, but is almost never, I would say almost never done. Um, if you ask any C-levels uh, and, and about the monetized, the dollarized added value of their forecast, they invested X million in, in this demand planning team. Uh, what did they get from it? Uh, and they will feel very embarrassed because they don't they don't know how to answer that. And on on the other side, if you ask the very same question to a demand planner, what's the value of the of the, the brand new algorithms he has he has implemented or his recent work, he will also feel really embarrassed in terms of monetized value. For sure, he will be able to answer very precisely about how much forecast value added. Uh, I mean, forecast accuracy added, he has brought uh, and all those kind of things, which definitely are valuable. But in terms of PNL for the company, translating all those initiatives into added value and ultimately into return on investment is totally absent. And it's 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 just amazing. It, it from from my perspective, it means that companies are investing blindly. On, on those topics, yeah. or, or, or they are having some strong gut feelings, but there's no facts behind, they, they, they never check the facts behind. I agree, them. they're chasing a precision without understanding the result of that precision. Exactly. It, it, it's the same mentality that people had in implementing the software. People didn't understand the value of the software. The project mm -hmm. was implementation, to implementation of the software. That is my goal. Unfortunately, you're surprised. I mean, I'm surprised too, but I, I think I see it a lot more than you do, you know, talking with companies and, and demand planners. But a lot of demand planners, they're just as guilty of chasing a forecasted number, a deterministic forecasting number, and not understanding the decision that's made with that, not mm -hmm. understanding the value that comes to that. They're going after precision without understanding the results, without mm -hmm. understanding the impact. They chase precision. If I can get that half a point better on my forecast accuracy, I'm going to pat myself on the back and not understanding what that means, or even if there is value in that. There, there's a point where there may not even be value in that half a point precision that you're getting. You're spending more time with less results downstream. Mm -hmm. I, I was t totally aligned. I recently had the, the, the opportunity to attend a conference in, in New York, the MOFC conference about the M competitions, you know, those very wide forecasting competitions. Great example of that. Yeah. And 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 we, we, we were discussing and what we basically said is um, we all acknowledge that forecast is a means to an end. Ask any forecasters, ask any practitioner, they will tell you that 
okay, that's that's not the goal. That's not the, there's no intri intrinsic value in forecast. You're not going to trade your forecast and sell it to someone else, except if that's the very specific business model of your company that you are selling forecast. But uh, we and, and at the same times we are not ensuring that those forecasts, those means, are effectively delivering value. So our practice totally contradicts our sayings. Uh, uh, so, sorry to put it this way, but it it seems that because of our the way we practice forecasts, uh, the forecast is is the end. It's not a means. It's our end. We we measure forecast accuracy. We measure tons of very important. I'm not saying they are not important. Uh, they are very important metrics, but they are not a guarantee that we do add value to the very end of the line down to the the, the PNL of the company, and it's. It's it's so it's it's something that no company could accept to ignore or, or and not to change. I I, uh, agree. I mean, look, the the M competitions are great. It's a competition. The people are they're they're going into their company and treating forecasting as a competition. I can do this a little bit better. I can do, and they're and they're taking that same mentality. No, you learn from different algorithms and everything, but then you apply it to business application. That's not happening like we need to in our field. Uh, to example of that, people are going into an executive SNOP where you're making executive decisions and you're going in sh showing off your forecast accuracy. Nobody cares in that meeting. You shouldn't care in that meeting. What's my PL? What's my EBITDA? What's my cash flow? That's what you should care about. And you mentioned you are just coming back from your um, IBF trip to Europe, to, to Amsterdam and, and Paris. And if if I'm right, I was not able to attend, but um, following the, the feedbacks on LinkedIn, <laughs> the, the, the conference leaks, <laughs> uh, the, 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 this topic of linking forecast to business value has been mentioned quite a lot in this. What, what were the core, the core ideas? Yeah, that, it, that is actually true. Uh, it was our European uh, best practices conference we do uh, mm -hmm. in November in Amsterdam every year. Uh, and this year, there was a lot of great topic. Jonathan uh, talked on it, Jeff Baker. There was a few others that actually brought it up as well. But there actually was a lot more discussion on linking forecast value to finding. And I love seeing that uh, in the in the forum of a lot of practitioners talking about that. Uh, and that was a big discussion. We actually had it as a panel discussion at the end, uh, specifically on that topic. So there's a lot of discussion specifically around that this year. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that definitely is there's a raising interest. I think I'm, I might be a, a little bit biased because it's a topic, a topic I'm discussing a lot, but uh, I see a lot of interest of practitioners as well as C levels. I mean, any people in companies trying to ensure that indeed they're getting the the bang for the buck uh, and not just spend time on interesting topics, uh, yeah. which is what a company should be doing. Um, yeah, my recommendation to companies out there, if you need to understand one point of forecast accuracy or, or error, what's that mean to your P&L? What's that mean to your top line growth? What's that mean to your cash flow? What does one point mean? Mm -hmm. And then when you're looking at, I'm going to put these resources, put this time, now you can start doing a ROI, mm -hmm. a return on your investment. But unless you understand that math, 
you can't get there. And, and, and the math's not overcomplicated. I mean, it's it's things that's available inside your financials and working with other you know, p- uh, people inside your organization. You can help get, or guess what? IBF, we've done research on that. I can tell you on average what one point does get you on average, if you really wanted to know. <laughs> that's definitely the, 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 the gap we need to fill is really getting some figures. It, it doesn't necessarily to be extremely accurate figures, but it could easily give us, give us a sense of whether it's going to worth investing in that, how much it's going to worth investing in that, yeah. or if it's a, a, a if it's it's just a nonsense from economic standpoint because it's just trying to improve tiny figures that won't make that much change at the end. Um, and th- this means that you you, you would. You, you mentioned two points. You mentioned um, that I, I wanted to, to discuss right now, uh, which is benchmarks, um, and uh, which is the IBF forecasting calculator. Uh, those are two different things. Um, the let's let's start with benchmarks. Um, so we we all heard of those fantastic bold claims uh, that state that if you're improving your accuracy by 1%, you're going to get X, Y, Z wonderful improvements in operations or gains or cost reduction, etc. I know that there there are a few people that are raising concerns about those benchmarks. I'm myself, I would say, skeptical regarding those. Let, let let me clarify because it's. Uh, I'm not saying those are wrong or those are lies. N- not at all. Those are true figures. I am totally sure that the companies uh, where it's been assessed and measured uh, measured have effectively experienced this 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 improvement in their own. So those are definitely totally true. What I'm concerned about is, I don't think it's tr- you can one could easily translate it from one context to another, from one company to another, sometimes from one department to one another within the same company or from one subsidiary to another, because there are context, uh, there are so many things that can change in the context that would make those figures just not comparable. It's, it's for, for me, it's literally comparing Apple to oranges. So it's, it's from my point of view, it's, fantastic tool to understand that those type of projects are able to create a large amount of value to make a real change in the company etc uh, and to trigger so trigger interest trigger project but this should not be used as a way to kind of say okay uh, this anonymous companies have experienced one percent in turnover Let's apply one percent in turnover in my company, because there we are not selling the same goods. The company strategy are not the same. The, um, the the metrics might not be the same. The starting point might not be the same. Some companies have products that are easily forecastable. Some companies are have totally different portfolio of projects that makes it way harder. Um, sometimes the there's was this famous diminishing return lows that uh, says that your if the first improvements give way more value than the very last ones uh, and so the starting point when we say one percent increase 
uh, it's really important to know where it's one percent on top of what <laughs> initial yes. performance. So okay. I, I'm I'm a bit concerned. Do, do you? I, and I know that IBF has um, in, uh, published such figures. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm very impressed. I've written articles about those figures. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, <laughs> and again, I'm, again, I'm not I'm not criticizing the the figures. I'm just sharing some ones regarding the type of how to use them efficiently or not to be trapped in a in a wrong use. Do, are those figures really intended to be used uh, as okay? Let's take those average performance and apply it to your own context. Or is this something that's up to the reader, but that's not encouraged in 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 in, in the way we publics, publicize these these figures? Okay, great great question. Uh, and you might disagree. Totally. Uh, no, 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 open. no, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. IBF, as I said, we do a lot of research. We have yeah. fifty thousand. Let's ask them questions. And one of the questions that we do every year is a benchmark study on mm -hmm. forecast air. So we're going to look at forecast air, lag one, lag three, lag 12, uh, different levels of aggregation, the skew, the family. So we we gather all this. And I think, you know, last week in no, uh, November in here, we're going to be putting out a benchmark research of what is the current benchmarks as far as forecast air. We've been doing that for years. I wrote an article how you shouldn't use it for benchmarking. <laughs> I actually wrote an article on IBF site saying don't use this for benchmarking. Okay, okay, so. But I get tons of inquiries. I mean, I get people email me all the time saying, hey, what you know, what's the benchmark for our industry and things of that sort? And we can slice and dice and give you the information. But the problem is, you're right, one company is not going to be the same as another company, and it, it's dangerous using those as benchmarks. What you're getting is averages, and an average is my feet's in the oven, my head's in the freezer, I'm the perfect temperature in the middle. That's an average. So you can't compare yourself to the averages. What you can is maybe directional. You can say, okay, this is where we can, you know, compare to give you some information to your, you know, uh, executives. Okay. The other thing is the, our studies we've done IBF is the improvements. You mentioned, you know, we have it calculated. We also have written articles about it. Uh, I did some research and looked at a 15 point improvement on forecast accuracy or forecast error is about two to three percent to the bottom line on average. Once again, it's on averages. It's about a one to two percent top line growth. You're going to get the cost savings. It improves your cash. So looking at the, you know, Brahms triangle, you know, it, it shows the improvements on cash cost and service, how you're going to get those two to three percent to the bottom line net profit improvement. What can you use that for? Well, it's a good idea as far as if you're trying to sell in ideas. It's a third party unbiased because we don't have a dog in the fight saying, hey, there is value in that. That does not excuse you as the you know uh, individual practitioner out there working for them to do your own analysis, mm -hmm. how that relates to your. Where are you on this distribution curve? It's you know, it's an average. So where are you on the distribution curve? You need to understand your own finances. Are you a 
customer intimacy type company really focused on the top line growth and, and, and service? Are you really a cost efficiency? How is this going to, you have a different business model. How does it fit your business model? What are your dollars? What's your starting point? You need to understand it doesn't excuse you from doing your due diligence inside your own organization and understanding the value and then measuring that value on return on my investment on you know EBITDA on top line service on you know supply chain costs on inventory turns whatever you're measuring you have to then measure those as well and have that be your value that you're really defining your project your implementation your process improvements on okay so that's that's directional information that can say okay there's high chances that there's value for you in this specific area now do your homework internally and check that and that says that Correct. and uh, and hopefully i says that before <laughs> committing to any specific investment or committing to any specific results as well because results will depend on your own context and nobody yes ex uh, except you can can tell tell you about it yeah, don't use uh, it as a benchmark. Use it as a, mm. you know, hey, the, and the other thing is we have case studies that people saying, hey, I did this. I improved this and everything. You mm -hmm. don't once again, that's not a a a I didn't do that. But what you can get is anything you're reading, anything you're listening to. It, it's not verbatim. This is how I'm going to adopt it for you. It's oh, I'm going to take this piece I've learned, this nugget and apply it to my real mm. world. And now this is how it's going to work. You have to be able to do a little bit of critical thinking and adapt what you learn. That's what we have to do as, as practitioners. And I hope it's going to be heard because I see so many people just using those figures, making some fast computations and say, okay, I'm going to win that much amount of money or, or gain or, or, or minimize costs in this way, which yeah. is not the way. And I have, uh, and I mentioned that on, on I, uh, IBF website, uh, you are offering, you, you of the IBF is offering a very valuable and slightly different approach to, which is more, uh, which is something you call the forecasting calculator. Uh, and it's just an easy tool where you can just plug in your own numbers that really represent your own specific context and estimate the potential savings associated to um, improving the forecast, adding one, reducing the error by 1% or, yeah. or whatsoever. And it's really, really well defined. It's really a, um, it's not a benchmark because you're not supposed to put in figures from other companies and expect the same results. Uh, it's really results that are um, customized to your own specific need. And it's a great template to really um, go through, follow the path and, and, and avoid to, to, to forget some, some figures that are really important. It's, it's a great checklist as well to ensure that you're not missing an important point. Um, and you, at the end, you get some monetized expectations uh, given the, the figures you put uh, as an input, and that's that's pretty well done. And at first, I thought this this calculator was a, a benchmark. It was used as a benchmark, and, and I was so so bad about people using that. And then I, I played it myself, and, and I, I find it really really interesting and helpful. 
Thank you very much for that, because you understand the kind of the purpose of it. It's not necessarily a benchmark, but it gets you to think about different types of inputs that you may not have thought about. It, you know, thinking about things more holistically, thinking about converting a a, a air to a value. It gets you thinking those ways, and it also gets you thinking about the difference between an over forecast and an under forecast. They're not the same. We need to measure exactly. that as well and understand the different values you're getting from each one as well. So it, 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 I, I appreciate what exactly what you're saying. It's not the benchmark, but it's a great tool to help you start thinking out the process that you need to internally of what's going to go into this calculation. What do I need to consider? What's the difference? What do I need to really start focusing on then? And how can that possibly translate into true value for my organization? That's exactly what it's for. And, and do you receive feedbacks from companies who, who used this calculator and said, OK, it's, it, it really helped and we, we effectively did it? Or do you have some statistics saying that this is the most used feature on our website? <laughs> it's <laughs> because not the it's most really valuable. It, it is valuable and it's free. I talked about, you know, we're about fostering the growth of our field. It's a free tool. What are you talking about? It's actually free out there uh, for people as well. And it's built on the research that we've done from IBF. Uh, so that's what helps compile this is all that research that we do. Uh, and we got a lot of great feedback from companies that have used it to help start a new project that they're starting. And you meant it was a starting point. It was then the next step was internally. Can you do that? And we've had companies reach out to me personally saying, hey, I love the tool you have. Can you help me with that next step internally of helping deciding, you know, what is the true value of an, of an air inside of organizations? And I help point them in that direction and work with them on that as well. So it's a, it, exactly what you're saying. There's a lot of use for it and a lot of companies that have utilized it beyond that as well. Definitely. That's such an important point. And, and, and at the same time, time is flying. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost to the end of this podcast. I will, next time I'm going to add some more minutes to my schedule <laughs> to be sure to, 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 to keep on discussing. But this basically means we, there's still a lot of things we could discuss and share about that. It's really been a pleasure having you um, to discuss predictive analytics. You, I think you are definitely one of the most uh, experienced people on that. Um, and that. thank you so much for, for, for accepting to join, uh, to share your, your experience. Um, I'm pretty sure that following this, uh, list, the, the listening of this episode, list, people would have some questions. So if you, they want to go online and learn more about your work uh, at IBF or follow you on social media or connect with you, where should they go? Uh, for IBF, it's IBF.org, real simple. Uh, if you want to find me, I'm Eric at IBF.org. That's Eric at IBF.org. Uh, that's my email address if you want to reach out to me personally. And please, I, I answer emails, so reach out to me. If you want to find me on my socials, LinkedIn's probably by far the best. It's uh, at Wilson Demand is my LinkedIn, or you find Eric Wilson, Predictive Analytics, or Eric Wilson, IBF. You're going to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's why I highly recommend because I like to see what other people are doing. I share content there, but I love to see what other people are, are sharing as well and, and be able to share that. So find me on LinkedIn is the best place. And that's how we connected first. And I, yes. at first, I thought, I thought that eric at ibf.org was a fake address, you know. <laughs> Actually, you did answer, and thank you very much. <laughs> um, to conclude the, the, the episode, I have a, a, the, the usual question, you know. Uh, this podcast is all about discussing return on investment value in supply chain. Do you have any 
recommendations might be people, might be books, might be papers, maybe whatsoever that would be relevant to the audience and that would be worth discussing in, in the following episode. Oh, wow. There's a lot of great books out there. Brom has this great book uh, talking about the supply chain chain, the triangle yeah. and supply chain KPI. If you really want to link forecasts and supply chain processes to value re return on capital uh, employed and mm. what that means to an organization, he has a great book. Jonathan has a great book on uh, the histories of forecasting, but it's also where it goes into bias in there. And that's a big thing that's impacting us, us as well. So those are two great books that I've recently, you know, uh, got my hands on uh, that I would recommend. As far as from a personal side, IBF, I said, we got a ton of practitioner articles out there that you can access. Journal of Business Forecasting, Demand Ask Branding. There's, there's lots of history of articles that talk about some of this stuff as far as value. I mean, I've had I've had people on my podcast talking about the same exact topic. So there's a lot of material out there if you want to get a hold of that material that I'd highly recommend uh, understanding that. Fantastic, fantastic. And, and then and of course, I, continue to watch Value Matters because this is, <laughs> this is the next podcast that's right. going to really focus on this topic, but we need more, more people talking about this stuff out there. Yeah, and I'm uh, happy to hear that. Um, really uh, targeting the right people given I'm interviewed you I interviewed Jonathan I interviewed Brum so we are on the right go. path you know you are on the right path but cutting edge podcast <laughs> it's really really be both uh, I'm uh, I'm really thankful and it's really be fun having you Eric so thank you for very much for for this episode hope you you enjoyed it as well and that we we will be able to to catch at some point, might be in Europe or in the US whatsoever, but I'd be more than happy to, to follow up and to, to share with you and with the audience more about that, those topics. Thank you very much, Eric. All right, ciao. Ciao. So here we are. Thank you also for your time, dear listeners. I hope you, you enjoyed this episode, that you find value in, the, in it, just as you find value in the previous ones. This podcast, as I keep saying it, is really yours. I mean, that's 100% true. So if you don't have any suggestions, any idea about people to, to interview, uh, topics to be covered, please connect with me and share your ideas. I'm really listening to you. And the best way to do so is basically to connect on LinkedIn and get in touch. That's the best way. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Leave a rating, leave a, a comment, a review, and of course, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you're not going to miss any coming episode. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us soon again. And in the meantime, don't forget, in supply chain more than anywhere else, value matters. Bye-bye.